If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. My name is Rob Gorski, and this is the Autism Dad Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. You guys are super awesome. I really appreciate it. I hope that wherever you're at, uh, whenever you're listening to this, that you are safe and healthy, and everyone in your orbit is safe and healthy as well. Uh, my guest today is Dennis Procopio. He's back again, and we are going to have another conversation to kind of help guys do better, right? And maybe help the people in their lives better understand why they do some of the dumb shit that they do, because guys do that. We, we, we do weird stuff. I don't know why. Uh, but, uh, Dennis is a life coach and he specializes in helping guys be better. So, uh, he's here today and we're going to have a conversation about relationships and how men and women tend to handle relationships, uh, differently. We're going to talk about some differences in communication and, and things like that. So, uh, this might be some good insight. Uh, well, this is definitely good insight for guys to, to listen to and, and maybe recognize some of the things they could do better. And it also can be a positive thing for their partners or whoever they're with because it gives them a better understanding of, of why they're doing the things that they're doing and kind of what the motivation is and, and whatever. So I'm really excited about this. I hope this helps. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Thanks. We're back. And my guest again today is Dennis Procopio. He's back. And uh, we're going to have a conversation this time trying to help people out there who maybe are in relationships and they just communication is a problem or or dealing with each other's emotions is, is a problem because like men and women are different in a lot of ways. And guys, I can I mean, like, just be honest to ladies, like guys can be super confusing and uh, so we're going to talk about how men and women handle emotions differently in relationships. And Dennis, thank you for uh, coming back on. And we've been working through some technical things. So sounds like it's doing pretty good. So I'm, I'm happy. Uh, how you doing, man? 
Hey man, I, I'm I'm really good, and uh, I I love this uh, dynamic that we've developed, and um, I hope it takes root and gets some traction, and we get to keep rocking because uh, it's really yeah, fun. I I enjoy it. I know I learn a lot, and I, I'm hearing from people who are uh, finding it relevant in their lives. So that's that's I like that. That's cool. So, all right, I guess we'll get started with how men and women handle things tend to handle things differently emotionally. We'll say. Guys tend to be more, well, what have you noticed when you're working with, with guys? Are they more reserved in their emotions? Like they don't like to talk about them or, uh, more, they want to kind of play that kind of closer to the vest. Like how, what are, what are you experiencing when you talk to people? Okay. So before I launch into this, I, I'd like to offer a sort of a sweeping disclaimer, okay. Um, I live in Southern California. We're in the era of, you know, the sort of post hashtag me too movement and gender can be a really hot button topic. So I just want to say that my product, you know, man up life coaching and the, you know, the, the guy that I cater to my listening audience tends to be a mainly uh, straight or heterosexual, family-oriented guy, typically binary in his interpretation of gender attri attributes. Um, I want to make sure I say that my messaging here today isn't intended to attack, judge, or ostracize uh, anyone whose gender identification is out of alignment with, with this worldview. I just want that to be That's said, fair. you know. Especially, you know, we have kids who are special needs and we're so careful not to isolate or ostracize them. I want to make sure that if there's somebody else born uh, with an anomaly that is outside of this representation, that I'm f fair to acknowledging them. That having been said, I think that there is at least uh, stereotypically a norm. And I think that that norm that traditionally tends to be a guy with a certain set of typical qualities and uh, a woman with a certain set of typical qualities. So I'm speaking to stereotypes. And if you're outside of these stereotypes, if the roles are reversed, that happens, but that's not, that's not where I'm going here. So typically what I experience um, is that as a, like I say, as a general rule, the guys I work with are primarily thinkers first. They're problem solvers, which means when they talk, it's to communicate information, data. If they express a problem, it's because they're looking for a solution. Um, by contrast, the women that they share space with are primarily feeling their experiencers. And when they talk, it's to share a sensation, a mood. When they express a uh, a problem, it's because they're looking for empathy. So one glaring difference right there is that when these two people attempt to communicate over a sensitive topic, it's going to be a perfect storm because he's interpreting anything that she's saying literally and trying to as efficiently as possible solve whatever problem she's presenting. And thinks that he should be rewarded for doing that. And she, on the other hand, is looking for um, someone who is going to be present 
with what she's experiencing, and she's literally working that out as she's talking. Follow so that? Listening. Not just listening, but listening according to a rule set that isn't common for that that doesn't come naturally for us as guys. I think that what I've observed is that when dudes have a lot on our minds, we want to go run and retreat and you know, hop on a ride on lawnmower and makes perfectly straight <laughs> lines back and forth for a couple of acres to kind of work, let whatever crap is on the back burner work its way to the foreground, wash some dishes, paint a wall, um, solve some, you know, computer problem or do something with our hands, do some sort of work related activity that steals focus while this issue of ours is percolating on a back burner. Mm -hmm. And when all of a sudden it, you know, slowly comes to the foreground and we're able to deal with it because it in little drips, it manages to present itself to us in a way that we don't shriek in terror. Um, you know, as, and as men, we, you know, we do experience terror. We calamitize. We just don't like to show it, but it happens. And so when we do feel like we've finally, <sighs> okay, it's not so bad. We kind of, you know, whatever, mow the lawn, fix the transmission, you know, whatever, put a shim under the table so it stops being crooked or whatever stupid problem that we solve that becomes a metaphor or an analogy for the bigger problem we're trying to solve. And we feel that we've, accomplished it um then we come marching into our female counterpart like hey i feel better let's i'm ready to talk about all your crap <laughs> you mm -hmm. and at this point she's livid and she's fuming because the whole time you've been doing that she hasn't been able to talk and for her typically this means that She's been in a place where she thinks that you don't care, because if you cared, you'd you'd listen. So, my experience with guys is, I always say in session, it's not that just that she wants to talk; it's that she needs to talk. And the longer she has to wait, the greater the pressure uh, builds for her, and with it, sort of the intensity of her discomfort. Um. She is typically a feeling of terror inside of her. It's feelings she hasn't sorted out yet. They're anger, jealousy, fear, imposter syndrome, sadness, loneliness, frustration, exhaustion. Um, so it's this big bubbling cauldron that needs to come out. And she's basically hoping that you'll sort of offer to hold her hair while she pukes it all up into your lap. And you're supposed to do this because you love her and she trusts you not to judge her for it. And after she's done puking it all up, if you've managed to listen, and here's here's where you really want to, if you're listening in the audience, you want to turn this up. If you've managed to listen without, one, offering any advice, two, defending yourself, or three, in any other way, invalidating her which includes interrupting. 
Well, the comedy is that your reward is going to be that she's going to keep puking up even more. And it's your job to keep holding her hair and telling her it's okay. You really understand. And when I say this to guys in session, they cock their head like a dog and say, wait, really? And I say, yeah, really. That's why she says you never listen. So the formula is let her talk. Look at her face mirror her expressions rather than having poker face or looking like a teenager in a math class. Put your devices away or anything else you're playing with with your hands. Use body language that suggests active listening rather than slumping or sighing or seeming distracted. But be still, look, listen. And what she'll do is she'll, she'll let it out, man. And it's going to scare you because everything she's saying, if taken literally, is terrifying. But if you understand that it's this sort of smell the milk moment where she's saying, yeah, what I'm experiencing sucks and I'm sharing it with you so you'll experience it with me. And if you can ride that out, then through a process of discovery, she's going to start to feel better. And she's going to come to her own conclusions, just like you out there on the lawnmower. And at the end of it, she's going to say, wow, you really, like, listened. Thank you. And then you're a good dog, and you're going to feel really glad about, about it all, and you're going to be maybe inspired to do the same thing again next time, and it'll get easier every time. That's, that's what I say. What's your, what's your input there? What's your take? I uh, am a fixer. Mm-hmm. I know. I remember you saying this last right. session, and could, if I can be honest with you, that's what motivated me to bring this yeah, topic. I'm a fixer, and uh, I was a fire medic for a long time, and I, I really like helping people, right? And I really mm-hmm. like there being, uh, you know, you use the metaphor of like cutting the grass, right, and seeing those straight lines. Mm-hmm. That is like zen for me. Um, I don't have mm-hmm. a big lawn, but I, I understand the, um, sort of cathartic in a way. Like it just, it just, you can see progress and it's like, you're wiping away something that needs to be done. And there's like a mm-hmm. beginning and an end and you can, you can see it and it's predictable and whatever. One of the things that I have historically struggled with is listening and not because I don't want to listen, not because I don't think it's important, but because if I see somebody I care about in distress, my instinct is to want to fix it so that they don't have to feel mm. distress anymore. And, and what I mm. have realized uh, is that that's more about me than it is about anybody else. And mm. what I need to do is find a way to be supportive that is best for the person that uh, needs listened to or heard or um, is going through something it's kind of like, it's kind of like buying someone a birthday present, uh, that you really want. Right. So like, like if you, if you're buying your wife a cordless drill for her birthday, like, I mean, maybe she wants that, but odds are, you know, it's probably like a buying it for myself kind of thing. Um, I just, I think active listening can be more difficult for guys because we just want to swoop in and make everything better. And Uh maybe that works for some people, but I, I, it doesn't work for everyone. And I think communication is so important 
in any relationship, whether it's uh, like a romantic relationship or just a sibling or a friend or just somebody you're talking to, like communication is really important. And not everybody communicates the same way. And I think that can be where, where you have some disconnect sometimes. And Mm -hmm. it's really important. I have found that it's really important to be open, honest and transparent and as direct as possible sometimes, because like, look, if, if this is what you need me to do, then I can sit here and I can listen. Right. I don't have to say anything. Maybe I can ask questions if I don't understand something or, you know, whatever. But, uh, I, I think that if I don't know something, I prefer to just ask because I feel like that makes it kind of cuts through some of the red tape and helps me to avoid potential problems with communication. Cause like I, I don't consider myself to be super experienced and knowledgeable, uh, but I'm a very good communicator, but sometimes you have to find ways to communicate with people uh, that works best for them. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when you say I find myself to be a good communicator. I had the thought um, I learned in one of our last, um, uh, recordings. I almost said sessions, right? But I guess it is a recording session. So that's true. Um, I learned in one of our last recording sessions that you have this uh, sort of psych pedigree. And so, you know, it, it gives you an insight into the, you know, sort of foundational building blocks of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the devil's in the details. You know, people, individuals splinter off in as many different directions as possible. So there's no way that we're going to throw a universal wrapper around an entire audience of people communicating. So for that reason, I tend in these things, the larger the audience is that I'm hitting, the simpler my message usually. And the reason for that is because for every person that's going to listen and say, oh my God, life coach, stop reading my mind. There's somebody else that's going to say, you know, I think I'm offended by what he's saying. He's suggesting that men are primarily thinkers and women are primarily feelers. Oh, so women aren't, aren't intelligent. There's always an argument there. Um, and communication isn't just a one-way street. It's really not about talking, even though you might express yourself well. It's also about how you receive someone else's information and what you do with it. Like reading the room, right? I have learned more so recently than probably any other time in my life that I have a lot to learn, right? It doesn't doesn't matter how experienced you think you are or or, uh, how long you've been in a relationship or how long you were married or whatever the deal is. Everybody is different. And, and one of the things that my kids have taught me, I have three autistic kids, they each require a different method of communication. I mean, like they all communicate with words and they have, I mean, it's like, we just have conversations where we shoot the shit back and forth or whatever. But if I'm trying to have a serious conversation where I need to get through to one of them, they all respond to different ways of communication, right? So like, uh, some of my kids are more literal they're very black and white. And, you know, I always go back to this, my youngest, he was by far the most literal. 
And if I had to go to the, I think I told you this, if I had to go to the grocery store, he didn't want to go, but I had to have him with me because I'm a single parent, right? And I can't leave him home alone at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I got to pick up three items at the grocery store, like bread, milk, and eggs or something. And if I went and I picked up two gallons of milk, a loaf of bread, and a thing of eggs, I'm picking up four items and not three. In my head, I'm still picking up three items. I'm just picking up two of one of them, right? Like I'm there for three things. In his mind, he hears, you said three, you said you, you picked up four and you lied to me. And so then it becomes this huge thing. And so I, I've had to, um, I've had to adapt my way of communicating with him. And, and that has sort of helped me to be maybe a little more aware of our communication differences just in everyday people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it can be challenging uh, to navigate sometimes, but I think once you, once you take the time to understand what the other person needs in that moment, uh, it can be a much more productive, meaningful, beneficial back and forth. If it has to be a back and forth, sometimes you just have to listen or sometimes silence, right? Like sometimes not saying something is the right thing to do. I, uh, have struggled with that in my life. <laughs> Because <laughs> I always feel like I have something to say. That's not a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'm. A, you know, I'm. I'm Italian, and and um, uh, the 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 Latin term horror vacui applies here. It's fear of empty spaces. If you go into my grandparents' house, you'll see that the walls are all completely covered floor to ceiling mm-hmm. with pictures. If you sit at our dinner table, you'll notice that there are no pregnant pauses in conversation every space is filled and yeah there's a discomfort when there's a when there's a space or an opening and sometimes we really need to allow that space to be there. I, yeah i agree and that, that is something that i've learned recently uh, i've i have found that some people some people maybe don't want to talk about things immediately right there needs to be a pause and, and time to wrap your head around things or to think about them and then come back and have uh, a more meaningful conversation where nobody says things that they uh, might regret saying or say things out of anger or emotion or whatever. And that is sort of contrary to who I am, but I have found so much benefit to that, that, that I'm trying to apply that in like myself, uh, trying to do that myself because there is a tremendous amount of control. I think that it takes someone to be able to just resist saying something in the moment and, and be able to, to take a step back and process everything before you say something like that's not easy to do, but there's a lot of benefit to it. And, and I guess the whole point is that as guys, I think, we allow that fixer mentality to overrule our other senses sometimes. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, I heard an interesting thing in there and I wasn't going to touch on it, but we have time and that's nice. So we can really go a little bit deep rather than just sort of a superficial sort of water skimming of the subject. I heard two things. One thing I heard is, hi, I'm Rob Gorski, and I like to fix things. 
And so when a person that I love comes to me with a problem, um, I immediately want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, shut up and let's throw a Band-Aid on it. Let's stop the bleeding. Let's make it better. Yeah. Yeah. There. You're better. You're fine. You're better. I'm a hero. I fixed it. You love me, right? That Because that's what we... That's what we do. And we're looking for, yeah, you're the greatest, you know, (laughs) not why do you always try to fix things instead of just listening? And then you say something classic, like I am listening. I could repeat everything you just said. And that's not listening. Yeah. There's a difference between hearing someone and listening to someone. And that difference is sort of removing your own agenda, right? Because even if you suspend your agenda, it's still there. And if you're with someone who's perceptive, which chances are, if you're the guy in the relationship, you are with someone who's perceptive, you know, you see her, but she sees you too. And you see through different lenses and you have different, you use your perceptive apparatus differently. And there's a reason for that. And it's evolutionary. If you're a fixer and you're in a relationship with someone who wants to express, even though, then this is the part that's confounding, even though they may be saying they want solutions, what you'll discover is by not offering solutions, you get the best result. Can I say that in caps? Do you know what I'm saying? That was kind of a moment right there. It is confounding for men to be asked for a solution or ask questions like, so how are we going to fix this? So what are you going to do about that? Do you hear what I'm saying? Etc. And to realize that your best play strategically in this situation is to say, well, according to what you've just said, you said this, you said this, you said this, you said this, and you sort of mirror back and enumerate some of the things that you've heard. And you said, based on those things, it seems like there's different directions this could go. How do you feel? Feel is a really good word to use in a conversation with your girlfriend, wife, mom, sister, whoever you're interacting with. Feel, because we have a tendency to to use the term think when we mean or should mean feel. So when we ask, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? There's validation right there. It's like talking to a musician. You talk to a musician, he'll say, oh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You talk to an artist, he'll say, oh, I see what you're saying. It's this subtle difference in language that reflects how we experience life. So as a guy in a relationship, to pull back a little bit, as a guy in a relationship where you're dialoguing with her, she may literally be asking for um, solutions or expressing a problem while your logical brain is telling you to offer a solution. What I'm suggesting is to sort of feed back to her. This is what I've heard you say so far. And this is what it, this is what it feels like you're going through or your experiences. And usually she'll say yes, like eyes open. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're communicating, which doesn't mean you're saying a bunch of good stuff. You're such a good communicator. It means we're communicating. I feel like you're getting me. Mm -hmm. And that gives me the confidence 
and the trust to open up more without worrying that you're going to step on me in some way. Does that, Rob, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think everybody wants to be heard. Mm. And, and I think this can apply to guys as well. Like mm-hmm. there's times where, you know, the roles can be reversed mm-hmm. and the guy just needs, you know, I, like I just need someone to hear me mm-hmm. and not fix it, not tell me everything is necessarily going to be okay or whatever, but just so I don't feel so alone. Cause I think guys can be ice. Like we can isolate ourselves yes, we can. sometimes. And you mentioned retreating and, and things like that. And, and I have, especially parents, that is something that is super common for, uh, guys in, in the special needs parenting community. But I, I just, I find that I, I, I guess I try and take every situation that I'm in as a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, then I feel like I'm, well, in my life, if I don't, then I'm trying to apply like a square peg to a round hole and that doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, but you know, I, I, I think that, I think that as much as I like to fix things mm-hmm. sometimes or most of the time, it's better if I'm present and available and connected and listening and and actually hearing what is being said so that I can ask the right questions and, and a dialogue can be created where maybe a solution can be navigated together, right? Mm-hmm. You work it out together rather than, you know, buying the drill for someone's birthday because it's something you really, really want. Mm-hmm. It's not about me in those moments. It's about the other person. And it took me a long time to recognize that the fixing thing had a lot to do with me wanting to feel better about a situation rather than, actually doing something that benefits the other person at your expense. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to fix it because you're saying what? Yeah. The, again, I'm going back to my share the milk uh, thing. I, I don't smell the milk. I get it. It stinks. Why would I want to smell something that stinks here? Let's the problem is pour the milk out. I'll get some new milk problem solved. And she's saying, I was trying to, have you share an experience with me? And you're saying, yeah, I didn't want to have that experience because it was uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And I, and I, I guess I, I feel like I have found that taking a step outside of myself and, and trying to more objectively look at something and remove myself from the emotional response that I'm like geared up and ready to to do like fix it or solve the problem or uh, whatever that if, if we can connect and have a conversation, even if it's just me listening to whatever hat, whatever is coming at me, that that can be a much more rewarding experience for both people. And it feels as a guy, like it feels like that's not enough because you're not doing anything. Right. Like I feel like I want to do something to make it better. Sometimes doing nothing is the right thing to do and just listening and uh, observing and empathizing. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm noticing a thing here. Check this out. So I have this client. He's a really interesting guy. He's Colombian and Chinese. Um, 
He lived in Cambodia for a while. While he was there, he really wanted to get in touch with his Asian roots, and he really, really embraced meditation. Fun dude, because on one hand, he's very, very intellectual, very what you would call left-brained, uh, chess player, computer guy, problem solver, very what you would say analytical, typically male engineer brain. Mm -hmm. um, but he was also raised in an environment in which he felt that he was, he didn't have deep emotional connections with the people around him, and particularly in his family. So his quest, as he's continued to age and grow in life, his quest has to become less analytical and more present with his feelings. And what you could call, quote, his feminine side. Now, I really, really, really want to be careful, as I keep saying about um, this, this sort of gender stereotyping. But if you Look at the yin-yang, for instance, this classic little Asian symbol that we have of the black and the white, you know, waves constantly encircling each other. And each one has a piece of the other in it. The black has a spot of white and the white has a spot of black. There's an argument that we're the same way. There's, you know, when we talk about our muse as male artists, our muse is typically referred is typically uh, sort of personified as a female energy. There is something I notice working with guys, which is that there is this passive, loving, dare I say, feminine side, this need to nurture. God, you're a father of three kids. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. And because you've had to be mom and dad. And so there is this part of us that's there and it's able to be expressed it's able to be explored but you know the machismo thing we have this idea our identity as men is that we're supposed to repress that or hide that or stuff that down that's not our father's father's model of maleness so that's girl stuff right i mention it because when we talk about communication, it may be the case that when you're just you, for instance, I don't want to make this the analyze Rob Gorski show, but just since we're talking about each other, you know, we're talking to each other about this and using our, I can definitely learn something. So you go right. Uh, ahead. Okay. Okay. I just want to be careful <laughs> not to just cut every session. Let's fillet Rob on, you know, uh, publicly. I, yeah, okay. But there's a thing that there's, there's a thing that could be happening, which is that, when you're listening to someone else in a in relationship with a, a woman, presumably, um, your your little Bob the Builder, you know, get out my tools and fix it thing comes up. So when she's communicating, you're trying to fix it, and which is a very male thing to do, to their problem solved. Now you can stop talking, and I can go back to playing Xbox or <laughs> looking at the wall or whatever. But when you're communicating and when it's your problem, now you're tapping into your inner feminine a little bit and you want to talk immediately. Because you mentioned earlier in this conversation that when something's on your heart, you want to talk about it immediately. Right. And 
you are kind of all in your feelings. Feel, 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 feel. And I see this with a lot of guys. And there's this tendency to say, yeah, that's your inner bitch, man up, bro. But that's the wrong interpretation of man up. I think manning up, honestly, is being open about the fact that you might have that aspect to your character. You might have learned that might be learned behavior, something you saw. Because I see it with guys who were raised with a single mom. I see that they imitate their moms and sisters. If they're raised in a very, you know, if they're raised in a very female-dominant household, they'll, they'll kind of pick up some stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even just, you know, I was raised with a Jewish mother, you know, and by, by, by the time I was 14, I was a little, I parroted a lot of her classic, you know, Jewish mom neuroticism. And I brought that into my communication style. I didn't start working on my inner John Wayne and Clint Eastwood stuff until much later. It took me to 50 to start getting that stuff under wraps. So I think there are two problems that we can solve at the same time when we're um, coming to terms with our identity as men and as communicators. One is to put our dude toolbox away and not try to solve problems if we're working in a space with someone whose communication style obviously tends to be more classically feminine. I think that's a fair way of putting that. And to also recognize that we might vacillate when we're calamitizing and when we're super scared, and we might shift into that modality. And we might then have the same needs that that person has in those situations, not to judge ourselves for that, not to be caustic and toxic and reactive, but to know how to ask for, hey, could you just, could you just kind of let me get this ran out? Can I just say this bunch of stuff to you without judgment? That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Yeah. And it's sort of ironic, really, because, yeah, I wonder how, I'm relatively comfortable with that myself, I want, I, but I can see how that would be uh, challenging if it's something that, A, you haven't embraced, you don't recognize for what it is, or it just makes you so uncomfortable that you, you don't want to... Um, let that out or, or whatever. I'm a big fan of honesty, right? I think that's super important. And I feel like if I don't know something, I will ask because I don't know. Right. And I figure as dumb as it might make me feel to ask a simple question, like, do you need me just to listen? Or do you want me to say something? Or how can I best support you in this moment? Mm. And I have found that if I try to guess, I end up missing the mark more often than I would hit it. Mm. And so when I'm learning to navigate a new relationship or a new interaction with somebody, I, I don't see a problem with just, if, you, if you're in a situation that you've not been in or it's the first time, what do you need from me? Just be like, hey, how can I best support you right now? Like, do you want me to fix it? Do you want me just to listen? Do you want me to just sit here in silence 
with you and, and that's a moment i have to just say if if somebody's if somebody's if a dude is listening to this and has gotten this far and is like hey this is really interesting for me that right there rob that's a nugget that's a nugget that's a great thing to say hey i really respect that you have a problem and i really genuinely care would you rather are you hoping that I'll offer you some sort of advice? Are you hoping that I'll fix a problem that you know, don't know how to fix? Or do you want me to just shut the hell up and listen? I mean, I can yeah. grab a pen and paper and sit here and make circles on a page over and over and over and actively listen if you want. Or I can put it down and stare you dead in your face if you want help. It's kind of like, it's like sex. It's like, I don't know what you want. You know, you tell me, how do I help me to help you? Jerry Maguire, right? Like, yeah. Help me help you. And it sounds really corny, I guess, or cheesy, but like I have found that guys just aren't always that intuitive, right? Like we don't always know the right thing to say. We don't always know the right thing to do. And rather than just ask, we guess Right. Cause it's like stopping and asking for directions. Like guys stereotypically, like we don't like to stop and ask for directions or ask for help when we need help. I have just found that you can avoid so much by just asking the questions. I don't think it's a weakness. I don't think that, um, that it's a negative thing. I, I think that you're showing that you care and you care enough to not try and navigate this on your own. Like, how can I, how can I best be there for you right now? I want to help you. How do I help you? You know, what do you need from me? And, and then, and then as you, you know, go on in your relationship or, or, or with whatever, you can learn to sort of navigate some of those things on your own. Like, you know, your intuition can kick in and you realize like, okay, so this person doesn't usually like me to say anything. So I'm going to just sit here and listen. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it can become more natural and it can become more organic and it can be more of a, um, you know, you just know how to respond in those moments, but why can't we just ask? Yeah, that's hey, right. How can I help you? No, that's how right. Can I help you. That's right. That's right. And like I said, not to make it weird, but, uh, when I when I said it's kind of like sex, I mean let's let's be honest. And I know it's a family friendly uh, station, mm -hmm. so we'll keep it PC. But you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of one. But also, we got moms listening. They're like, no, talk yeah. about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> talk about it. Not give it to him. Maybe it'll help. Um, yeah, it doesn't it it doesn't hurt to ask. Hey, you know, I I mean, I'll I'll, I'll tell you when I, I remember being in my early twenties and going into. Um, Borders or Strand or one of those bookstores at the time before Amazon came and took all the stores away. Washed everything away. <laughs> washed everything away. Um, and uh, I was in the self-help section, not surprisingly. And uh, I ended up in the sort of sex section. And uh, there was a book called Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men. And it had a, it just had a black cover with white letters, Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men. And I'm like, kind of looked around and I'm like, okay, I'm buying this thing. I really was embarrassed to buy it, but I bought it. And the first three chapters were on communication. I'm like, what the heck is this? I was looking for instructions. I wasn't looking for how to communicate. And there's really something revelatory there. You know, a lot of my guys don't even realize, hey, you know, that great physical intimacy that you're looking for starts with 
a different kind of intimacy. Intimacy is togetherness. Intimacy is sharing. And it starts with asking, hey, is what I'm doing working? And if not, what could I be doing different? But I want to make sure that instead of just going on about, yeah, there are differences between how we communicate. I also want to make sure that I offer something educational, which is what can you do when you communicate? Even though you've communicated properly, you still have these differences. Because that's where that's where communication can can escalate. You're in a situation where two different people have two different goals. And even if their communication styles manage to meld in some way, there's still this push and pull and this absence of compromise. So it's this idea that I'm introducing of the difference between sacrifice and negotiation. So hear me on that. My partner, Celia, she and I, it's Bennett's mom. She's a lawyer, which means that she's, I can trust her to be a fair, albeit fearsome negotiator. Um, We have in our house a sink that has, you know, left sink, right sink. We don't use our dishwasher. We're, we're, We're old school. We hand wash our dishes, put them in a put them in a dish rack. And I have this need for order in my life, left to my own devices. I, my room, my living space would look like, you know, um, a hotel room after it's just been, you know, the bed's got the, sh- the perfect hospital corners, like just so every look really, really clean all the time. I'm the guy who's putting the kids' toys away while they're still playing with them, you know. Um, she, on the other hand, sort of lets things pile up. And then once it's this outrageous mess, she dedicates a day or a weekend and cleans it all up again. So for, for me, it's maintenance. For her, it's this roller coaster ride. She's comfortable with her way of living. I'm comfortable with my way of living. And when you put us both in the same space, it's the classic odd couple scenario where negotiating is really challenging. So we've been together long enough now that we do communicate fairly. Moving beyond how we communicate, there's still the fact that she has an objective in this conversation. I have an objective in this conversation. I am saying to her, Celia, Sweetie, darling, I love you. But when I walk into the kitchen, it drives me nuts when there are two sinks completely piled full of dishes, like this sort of post-Thanksgiving sort of environment with stuff all over the counters. I don't feel like it's fair if I walk into the space to make myself something to eat that I first have to dig out, you know, a space for myself to work in. Uh, I kind of feel like you should leave the campsite the way you found it. Mm-hmm. Historically, she'll say, okay, well, do you know what those dishes are? Those are your son's dishes. Do you know why they're there? Because I was dead. And I'm like, God damn it. Okay, see, this is why I shouldn't have even said anything. But so what we've learned to do over the years is, hey, Celia, here's the deal. We have this sink situation. I have, I would like to negotiate with you. What I would like would be completely clear counters at all times and two empty sinks. I think I've learned about you that what's most comfortable for you is two full sinks. 
counters just crazy business and you'll get to it when you get to it. So <laughs> I'm offering a negotiation. How about you leave one sink open? So I always have one that I can use. But you don't feel like you're pressured to do everything, but just leave me one sink and also keep like 90% of the counter space available. In exchange, I will take out all laundry, excuse me, I will take out all trash and all recycling all the time for the rest of your life. I don't care if it's going from the trash, from the, from the, trash can to the curb, from the curb to the cans outside, the rotation of the curb, the cans, knowing which week is recycling. I'll do all of that. I'm willing to do all of that in exchange for this one thing. And she said, wait, you're really seriously saying you're willing to do that? I said, baby, yes, I, I really, no problem. It's really worth it to me. I will happily do all trash duties and recycling duties for the rest of your life. You'll literally never put your hands on trash again, except to throw, I'll get you a little bell you can ring that say, hey, time to take out the trash, okay? In exchange for this one empty sink and clear counters, deal or no deal. So she thought about it and she said, you're really gonna do that? I said, I promise I will honor my end of the bargain. She said, all right, deal. And so I sent, and I said, would you mind if I send an email that stipulates to these particulars just so that we don't have a he said she said later she's like that's fine and so i literally sent an email saying this is our arrangement that was like eight years ago we've never had this fight again now also she's occasionally left dishes in in the sink and i've come in and i've quietly just washed them because i think in a relationship if both people are giving 60 percent, each one feels like they're giving somewhere between 40 and 50. so maybe just do a little bit extra the point of this little metaphor here is when you sacrifice it's because as you said earlier in the conversation your cordless drill analogy we have a tendency to give what we want to receive there are many things that i'm doing like keeping the the kitchen clean that i think she appreciates because it's what I would want. But she doesn't necessarily recognize that as some great thing that I'm doing. There are many things that she's doing that I don't recognize that she's doing or that I'm not appreciative of. And eventually, over time, it becomes compounded, and we feel that we're giving more than we're getting, and it, a lot of resentment develops. So my suggestion for guys is, bro, don't make sacrifices. Well, you should do it because you love me. No, I don't agree with that. Sit down and have a conversation about what your non-negotiables are. And if you have non-negotiables, then that's a deal breaker. But everything else that's negotiable, well, then negotiate it. Have a sane conversation. Lower the lights, crack a bottle of wine, um, put on some light jazz and say, okay, I got my notepad out. How about you? Let's go through our list of negotiables and let's see. You do all the kids' laundry. What can I do in exchange? Okay, you, whatever, fix, you make sure the cars are fixed and have oil or whatever. What can I do in exchange? Go through your list and make sure that you feel that there's a fair exchange. If it's not, come up with a barter that works for both of you. That is going to help you to develop a method for communication that aims more at negotiation than this constant 
I do this and, and you don't appreciate it. Well, I do this and you don't appreciate it. It's a little revolutionary, but it's what we do and it works. What do you think of that? I think anything that works that is healthy and productive uh, is a positive thing. And if you're both like together on that and that works for you guys, I think that's fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of outside the box thinking and, and finding solutions for problems. And, and they're not all cookie cutter solutions, right? Like I, I, I've negotiated with my kids with things that I should probably never have negotiated with them. (laughs) Uh, but you know, whatever works. And I, I think that's a good example. I think it's a great example. Um, what is your parting advice for communication in regards to everything we've been talking about? Like what is, what is your words of wisdom for the guys out there who are maybe struggling with communication? Okay. I, I totally hear you on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page. Um, one, I think as a precursor to explosive communication, if you plan to be in a long-term relationship or if you're already in a long-term relationship, it's a good idea to do a little bit of preemptive relationship maintenance and make sure you're not making assumptions about what's fair. So look at your household duties, look at your contributions, and have a conversation and say, does this work for you? And if the other person says it doesn't work, or this is what I would rather have, instead of feeling threatened by that, have a conversation about how you could negotiate so that both people get their needs met. An example might be, she says, I don't feel like we go on dates enough. I'd really like to see us going on dates minimum once a month. Um, he says, uh, weird flex, but I don't feel like we're physical as much as we could be. I, I'd kind of like that to be more frequent. She says, you know, okay, well, you you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours or whatever. These are adult conversations and they can be over things like dates and physical relationships. It can be over things like who drives the kids to school or whatever. And it doesn't have to be fair according to some universal law. It only has to be fair according to what you, you know, if you're willing to spend whatever, $9,000 for a, you know, 2004 Jeep Cherokee with 130,000 miles on it, that's your business. You know, it's, 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 it's perceived value. So one, right. So, and if you're this way, it, it removes other people. He he said, "What are you? That's not fair." But 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 if it works for you, then that's y'all's business, and it's fair. Fair is not always equal. Fair is everyone getting what they need. That's what everyone, I'm saying. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. It doesn't have to make sense to the rest of the world or anybody else. If it works for you guys yep. and it makes you happy, yep. improves your quality of life, yep. who the fuck cares? That's what's up. Nobody else's business. Um, yep. And so that's that. So one, um, list out what your negotiables are and then negotiate them preemptively. Two, recognize that so one of those negotiables might be she says hey when i have a problem i want to talk about it he says when you have a problem i don't like you just barging in and dropping your 
day's worth of crap on me while I'm sitting on the couch playing Xbox trying to de-stress. She says, well, my problems are more important than your Xbox. He says, you can't know they're not because this is how I deal with my problems. So instead of attacking each other, here's a compromise. Okay, how about when I'm mowing the lawn or in the garage or in my little man cave handling my problems, you let me do that without come crashing in. In exchange, if you have something you need to talk about, let me know and I'll say, hey, look, I'm not available right now, which is fair, but I will be available in a half hour or an hour and then I'll give you unconditional time and quality time and attention. She says, okay, that's fair. Once you put that blueprint into place, you at least have something that you can refer to later and say, hey, we discussed this and this is what we said we would do. Now, if you're not holding to your end of the bargain, well, then there's an opportunity for maintenance. But at least you're not just flying blind and wildly invalidating each other. So again, the takeaway is one, list out what your contributions are in the relationship, emotionally, acts of service and otherwise. Two, make sure that you're you're fair, that they're fair, and that you're not making sacrifices for the other person with the expectation that at some point they'll reciprocate, because that will lead to harbored resentment, which is toxic. Three, as a dude, preemptively give her opportunities to talk and to deload, because probably, stereotypically, she needs to talk um, as a way of dealing with her problems. In exchange, advice for her. Don't just drop drop in on him and unload. Say, hey, is this a good time to talk? And if he says not really, that say, okay, then when can we talk? And in my in my opinion, it's up to him to say, okay, at a, at such and such time. And if that's and if that's the case, yeah, give me ten minutes or give me let me finish this up and I'll be right there and you can have my undivided attention. Very cool. And finally, um, in terms of her 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 language when she's expressing listen to what she's saying with a different kind of ears don't take what she's saying literally recognize that she might be coming from a place um that asks you to feel what she's feeling and even though what she's saying taken literally could fill you with a tremendous sense of dread man up let her say what she needs to say and trust me when I tell you there's no actual threat here. And if you just let her get it out of her system, when she's done, she'll come back around and everything will be fine. And she will consider you having listened rather than having offered advice, tried to fix a problem, interrupted her, mansplained, or in any other way invalidated her. I think those are some pretty good takeaways. I agree. Well, thank you, Dennis. Always, always always informative. I always learn something and I hope you guys have uh, learned something as well. You guys can find Dennis at manuplifecoaching.com. All the links will be in the show notes like normally, you know, so you guys can just click. And uh, if you have any suggestions for topics for our next conversation, uh, shoot me an email. That link is in the show notes as well. So uh, be creative. We want to talk about some cool stuff. So I don't know what day it is. What day is it? Tuesday? Wednesday? 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 Dang, it is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. (laughs) (sighs) Weeks become months become years in this game. Yeah, it all slurs together. As autism dads, yeah. We'll do. All right, man. I got to go... 
deal with my youngest. So, Sounds good. All right, Rob. All right, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Before I close things out today, I just want to say thank you to Dennis for taking the time to come back on the show and talking to us about how men and women handle relationships differently. And and, and it's not, you know, th- these aren't like uh, universal rules. These are just sort of experiences based on his experience as a life coach. These are the things that he hears about when he's talking to guys. You know, I have my own personal experiences that sort of line up with that a little bit. And, and, and so, you know, guys, like we struggle with things and we don't always ask for help. And I think that we need to be more comfortable doing that. I think that we need to always strive to be better versions of ourselves for not only for ourselves, but for the people in our lives, people that we care about, people that we love, you know, set a good example for the younger generation. And Dennis is helping men to do that. And that's really, really important. So thank you, Dennis, for, for doing that. Uh, I learned a lot today about navigating relationships because that's, you know, kind of a newer thing in in my life. And uh, I know there's a lot of guys out there that uh, will benefit from this. And I I imagine their partners uh, or potential partners will as well, because this provides some insight into why guys do kind of the weird things that we do sometimes. So uh, thank you. I appreciate it. You guys can check out Dennis at manuplifecoaching.com. That link will be in the show notes. So you don't have to remember, you can just click it. Um, We're also looking for listener or audience feedback and ideas. So if you guys have any ideas for topics that you would like Dennis and I to talk about, or do you have a situation that you would like us to kind of, uh, you know, have a back and forth and, and try and kick some ideas around and just see what Dennis has to say. Uh, shoot me an email at rob at the autism with your show ideas and your topic suggestions. Uh, that's rob at the autism and we'll see what we can make happen. As always, you can find me at the autism All my social links are at the top of the page. Please like and share this podcast episode. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button. And take a second to rate it if, if you have that option. It really helps me to continue to grow. And yeah, so I really appreciate your time. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Please stay safe, be smart, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks. See you, bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strength and connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code theautismdata at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.